0: Today, we're going to do a Father's Day message. Or, I'm going to do a Father's Day message. And, uh, you know, I was reflecting on this, and today is like one of those messages uh, that's a little bit more family esque. And what I mean by family esque is talking about in the family of God, how the family of God is to operate. I remember when I was a kid, I always loved when, uh, when, the, when, the, when the preacher got like practical with some things. Like, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but our culture is like vehemently at war with what the family unit is in a biblical setting. I mean, completely. Like, there's no joke about it. And so some people in the, in the church, you know, if, if we're not being taught some principles, which maybe we take for granted, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a matter of time, right? Uh, as, as some old preacher said, you know, where the world goes, the church goes 20 years later, right? So those things that were acceptable... 20 years ago in the world, now catches up to the church. Now that's not always the case, but a lot of times it is the case. And you can see that with a lot of different issues. So <clears throat> today, uh, we're going we're to get into a little bit more of a family type of message. So it's a little different, especially for, uh, for guests, it's a little different than what we usually do. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I believe the Lord is on it. And so as a reminder, some of you guys were here last year. Um, and I did a, there he is. Uh, I did a sermon on Father's Day called The Masks Men Wear. Don't worry, I will not feel offended. Does anyone remember that sermon? I know Josh did. Oh, cool. Um, I really like this sermon, and I'm not saying because of the way that I articulated it. It's not that at all. It's that when I'm studying to, to share something with you, right, the Lord has to work on me first. And so the Lord was working on a lot of things with me. Um, and last year it was this, um... Men have a tendency to put on a mask to hide their true self. It's a great book called "The Men: The Masks That Men Wear." Uh, it's really awesome, and you just don't—it's uh, not from a Christian perspective, but it's really well done. And it's this that men put on like different masks to hide themselves: the materialism, aggression, the alpha male, the sexual mask, the one who always cracks jokes, the athlete—you know. Like, what does it mean to be a man? Oh, you know, beat captain of the football team, you know, beat people up, all that kind of stuff. And everyone, men, put on different masks to hide who they really are. And so my question uh, to you guys, particularly men, is uh, from last year, did you acknowledge a mask in your life? And then if you did acknowledge a mask, did you do anything to remove it? And the only way you can remove a mask is if you're finally content and happy with who is behind that mask. So we put these masks up to hide our true selves. And the only way you can really be happy to remove those masks and be okay with seeing what is truth, I believe, is if you really understand your identity as a son. Because if you really get who you are as a son or a daughter before God... Who cares what people think of you? Because your identity is in him. And so you don't have to be the cool jock or you don't have to be the real macho guy or you don't have to be the one that cracks the jokes all the time to actually hide your vulnerabilities. I mean, it's kind of like psychology 101. If anyone who's like dealing with this stuff and you see a dude or even a female acting this way, you're like, oh, poor guy. He just doesn't get it. <laughs> the assistant pastor just said that sometimes you want his bunch of... yeah, he wanted his them. Yeah, he's also in charge of editing, so before it goes on the website. So, yeah, right. No, but let's be, like most most dudes, you know, like your, your flesh wants to pop the dude in the face. Let's be real, right? So I gotta pull back the flesh. So here's what it comes down to last last year's sermon. The promise of adoption, you receive the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. If we really understand who we are as sons and daughters, we'll really be able to remove those masks and be okay with who we are, okay? And here's the thing, you cannot be, this is Father's Day, right? Guys, you cannot be a father if you do not first know what it means to be a son. You have to learn what it means to be a son from Him. And then you can walk out being a, a good father. Amen? So this year, what's going on? This year is a um, sermon on what I'm calling the perceptions of the Father. And, and where I'm going with this is this. <clears throat> we all have a view of our relationship between ourselves and our Heavenly Father. And I've been doing this enough to realize that many of us, if not all of us to some degree will perceive our Heavenly Father through the relationship and the lens that we had with our Earthly Father. It's a very, very powerful thing. Because, you know, we may go to our Heavenly Father with the same junk that we had or have with our Earthly Father. And so, fathership is something that is taught to us when we're children. And when we come to faith, we a lot of times will now position ourselves to look at our heavenly Father in that way. Can, can anyone run and raise their hand and, and be like, "Yeah, that's, yeah, I mean that's totally," you know? Or uh, what we're going to just call this is, uh, Dad. You want to have a catch? <laughs> Who here has seen Field of Dreams, the movie? All right, good, 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 good. I was like, man, if there's only a couple, this isn't going to work. We'll get there in a moment. <clears throat> Let's crack open Malachi chapter 4. Well, today, uh, at least the first half, is going to be a very real kind of message. and I'm not going to apologize, but I'm just going to let you know, like some of our feathers are going to be a little, a little rustled, ruffled a little bit if we don't have an appropriate understanding of leadership and fatherhood. So I'm throwing that out there. If you have any problems, I think you can talk to uh, Pastor Josh. He won't punch you, though. (laughs) Malachi chapter 4, verse 4. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Now, this, this is such an important scripture verse for multiple reasons, but one key reason is that it's a messianic prophecy. It's that before the Messiah, the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, comes to earth, I'm going to send an Elijah to you, and his job is going to be to turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the hearts of children to the fathers. And that has to happen lest I curse the earth. It is so important to the heart of the Lord that fathers and children and children and fathers are bound together in their heart and in the relationship for multiple reasons. One, it's a prophecy that it must happen before the Lord comes. Another big reason is it's, it's a paradigm of explanation of what it's like between us and our Heavenly Father. And it's so powerful, the family unit, fathers and sons, that uh, fathers and children, Because it's a representation, right? If marriage is the representation of the love that Jesus, Yeshua, has for his bride, man, the representation between a father and his children is a representation of the love that our Heavenly Father has for us. And it's so, so important. And I think that is why the enemy, or the culture of the world, is going up against that. Because it is one of the most single, most powerful representations to the lost of the love that a, a Heavenly Father has for us. So of course the enemy is going to try to just, you know, screw that up, right? So why, why is this stuff so important? So one was that little summary right there. But another thing here is the notion of leadership. Having the hearts turned to the fathers, fathers to the sons. It's, it's, a lot of it has to do with leadership. And the enemy comes to attack that leadership in the family unit and we see horrible effects example um, we know that particularly boys that do not have a father figure in the home are like ridiculously more likely to go to jail to do domestic abuse to be on drugs etc etc like every deviant behavior you can think of the rates skyrocket amazingly when there isn't a father at home But have it on spiritual principles, stats. If a dad is not in church or does not go to church, one out of 50 children will be going to church. Meaning that if your father does not go to church, there is a 2% chance that you will go to church or continue going to church. 2%. But the stats are unbelievable. If a dad does go to church and is involved in spiritual matters, the, the percentage like skyrockets. It goes from 2% to 70%. If a father goes to a congregation, the children will be 70% more likely, or technically 68% more likely, to follow suit. Why? Because fathers have been called out from the scriptures to be the leader of the home. And if a kid sees his dad doing something, whether it's good or bad, they will do it. It's just a spiritual principle. So what we have here is this. The most effective discipleship that occurs for a child comes from the father. Now, with this being said, mothers, you absolutely give discipleship to your kids. But if we just look at this stat alone. Mom could be going to church, but the children will follow where dad goes with that simple stat. So father, fathers provide a tremendously powerful Example to their children. It's in our spiritual DNA. Dads, you are the priest of your home. Whether you are acting on it or not acting on it, the scriptures say you are the priest of the home. Now you're either a priest of the goodness of the Lord or you're a priest of the evil of the world. You're a priest whether you like it or not. The kids will follow you. And if you're Going into bad things. If you're living a life that is, is not right before the Lord, your children will follow your priesthood. But if you're a priest and you're doing those things of the Lord, your children will follow that more likely. Your little ones are always watching, right? We all know that. And they pick up on the subtlest, smallest little things. So leadership is extremely important. That's why we need to have the hearts of fathers and children coming together. Because in that union right there, we see proper leadership going forth. Another reason for the importance of of fulfilling this scripture is confusion. I told you, it's very like family practical kind of stuff today. Uh, Look, I am telling you, I teach high school, I'm with kids 180-something days a year. Okay? I spend more time with some of my students than their parents spend with their students. I'm telling you, the younger generation is ridiculously confused. Yeah. They're confused on so many things. Part of it is the culture that we live in. It's the mixed signals that they are getting. And to be frank, the reason why they're confused is because the previous generation didn't make it clear to them. Yeah. Yeah, we always like to blame the millennials. Dude, who gave them the phones? Yeah. Who gave them the video games? Who told them how to do it? Anything can be truth. What's that? Baby yeah, the baby boomers, essentially. I don't want to call them out particularly, but you're a baby boomer, so you can say that. I can't. Now, if we take a look at the confusion. If you even take a look at uh, Hollywood. I mean, I've, I've, ta- I've taught on this before. Uh, it really drives me nuts, but if you take a look at Hollywood and how they portray men, I, I challenge you to try to find like, a good, wholesome male figure in entertainment. Like, I, I mean, I'm not really a, a much of a TV guy, but, you know, the way that it's usually portrayed is either you have this hyper-macho guy who goes around and beats everyone up and kills everyone because he's like a CIA, CIA agent or something. Or you have uh, the, the womanizer who's just going around, you know, partying and out and, and, and having uh, sex with a whole bunch of people. Or the one that really drives me nuts is uh, the, ba- the babbling fool or the bubbling fool, Right. Uh, you know, like, for, I think a better, even a better example could be, um, a *Big Bang Theory*. Right? You have these dudes who live across the hall from Penny. Like, they can't even tie their own shoes. They're always like going to her for guidance. It's like, it's like, where are the men? Right. Where, like, a real man? Right? I mean, it doesn't really exist. I mean, on TV, in many regards, right? And so our culture is, is circumnavigating these principles, right? And so this is a time where the, the sons of God become the fathers for a generation, and show people what it means to be a man. We're losing the understanding of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a a woman, what it means to be children. And so there's a lot of confusion. Now part of this confusion, we can go back to even uh, from the 1960s. Uh, Betty Friedan, the Feminine Mystique, some of you older folks may remember this. Um, She is like the grandmother to the feminist movement. And I want to be very clear. Feminism defined is a belief that women should be socially, economically, and politically equal to males. I am for that. I am completely for that. Women, abs- they're born in the, they're created in the image of God. Like, that's the, the true definition of feminism. Now, the whole like angst, like man-hating thing, that's, that's something different. Right? That's something, that's com- something completely perverted. But come on, man. Adam and Eve. Eve was a helpmate. There are females that are prophets and teachers and apostles in the New Testament. Right? So I just want to be clear because, you know, I don't want you to be like, Dave is hating on women. No, I'm not. I, in that definition, would classify myself as a feminist. Do I believe that women are socially, economically, and politically equal? Absolutely. Do I feel that males and females have different roles because of how God made us? Yeah, absolutely. We have different gifts. And some of those gifts overlap. But I want to make clear with that because you know I'm going, to, I'm going to talk a little bit about this feminism. When I'm talking about the feminism, I'm talking about the feminism with the angst. Okay? So since the 60s, um, I, and this isn't me saying this. Like I'm not even coming up with this. Like, this is stuff I actually teach in my history class. Yeah. Like Sociologists will throw this out there. Even Betty Friedan mentions the problems that, that are arising from these things. So... It's it's bizarre because even the people who are promoting it are recognizing some of the problems. And and one of the pieces of confusion is this: um, men's or males' roles are confused. Amen. Like back in the day, your family needed you for money, put bread on the table. Now we live in the twenty first century, and a lot of families need both. But there has been a confusion in the physical, like for eons, right, the male was the primary breadwinner or almost the entire breadwinner. And now there are men like, well, am I even really completely needed on the financial part? Um, some uh, sociologists say this is actually why the, uh, the, the rate of divorce has gone up. Because it's not like in the 1940s and 50s, like, marriages are all hunky-dory. It's that women are, like, bound to the man for, for money. And if, as women are are more economically free. She doesn't need that man as much, or at all. But bringing it back to males, it's, it's a confusion. Like, how much am I really completely needed? Um, discipleship, child rearing. Who, uh, who, who's gonna, you know, child rear the kids? Is it mom? Is it dad? Is it both? Should be both, but let's be real. We're not going to have a show of hands. But uh, my experience is, mom is the one who's setting the limits. Mom is the one who's telling what you do, what you can't do. Mom is the one that's running you off to practice. Um, mom is the one who's going to give you maybe a little spanking, a little time out, and then dad comes home and has to finish the job. Uh, in the years past, it was, it was, you know, I'm not saying it has to be the father. I think it should be both. But it's, I'm telling you, through my experiences and talking with people and reading history and looking at stuff, men today are confused. What is my role? What's my role? Like, i got to be more than a sperm donator. Like, what's my position? I don't know. It's very, it's confusion, right? Not a big one. Another piece of confusion. Do I lead in my home? Do I really lead? Or will I appear to be dominating and domineering? Right. Like the biblical principles, the, the husband is to be the priest of the home and to lead the home. We're going to talk about that. But let's just think about our culture. Can a man lead in the home? Or is it like this kind of like sensitivity, like, oh, if I lead and I really lead, then I am looking to be like uh, well, lack of a better word, like just domineering and overbearing. That's the sensitive one. As the ladies' eyes open up. This is the sensitive one. It's going to be real with you. Many families in the church and many families outside of the church, who leads the home? My experience has been mostly Women. The husband gives some money, but when it comes down to like decision making and spiritual development of the home, a lot of times the mothers are the ones wearing the pants. I don't know if your experience has been like that. My experience looking in seems to be that way. You guys have to determine how your family is working. Ephesians chapter five, verse 22, wives, submit to your own husband's. As to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Messiah is head of the body of believers, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church or the body is subject to Messiah, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything, in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Messiah also loved the church and gave himself for her. They might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Probably one of the most sensitive pieces of scripture today, I think, because of this energy that's going on. Here's the thing women are to submit to their husbands, husbands are to love their wives. Is it possible to lead your home and love and not be domineering? Absolutely. That's 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 the that's the love of Jesus. That's that's not coercion. That's not manipulation. That's not control. It's walking out and showing love and leading through love. Okay, it's possible. Some examples: uh, Adam and Eve. Eve says that she is a helpmate. In the scriptures, it doesn't say that she is a blind, mute slave. I just listens to everything and just oh what do you want adam no that's that's not what the scripture is going for she used to be a helpmate a partner together well how do you do this like this is like this is like you know i said real family kind of thing scriptures say men are to lead, be the head of the house but you're also supposed to love so like how do you how do you like handle all of this I think it's like this. Men, um, you must lead, and you need to lead walking in love. And what is the leadership? Leadership is really living a life of example. If you show your family that you, as a leader, are going down this path and this direction, they're going to follow. If you're not pointing them in a direction of where to go, they are going to be confused and someone is going to fill that void. It might be mom, it might be their friends, it might be the world, someone will fill that void. So how does a guy lead? He, he leads through example and pointing in the right direction. And then here's the flip side of it. And this is hard, this is hard. I, I know it's hard. Because I've seen it. In order for a, a, a father to lead, women, you need to allow your husband to lead. It's quiet in here. I know you do. You need to allow your husband to lead. This is no, this is no small task, guys. This is no small task, especially if you've been hurt as a female from a male figure. If you've been abused, if you've been hurt, if you've gone through something, it 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 is very hard. That's when Jesus enters the room. Right? And so, okay, let's let's look at this now practically. All right, I want to go to dinner here. The wife wants to go to dinner here. I don't think that's what the Lord is talking about. Come on. Come on. It's not I mean, that's silly. It's silly prefer one another, serve one another, whether male or female, right? There's, men still are serving and are, are submitting in love, right? There's, there's a submission in love by men that are, is supposed to happen. I mean, I, I think really what we're getting at is we're, we're talking like some bigger things here, you know, where, where are we going to move to, what church are we going to, um, et cetera, you fill in the blank, and that, that, let's just be real and practical for a moment. Michelle and I, I've had a thought of doing this. She has a thought of doing that. We're not in agreement. Well, I guess you're just supposed to follow me, wife. Come on. She and I both have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Then, therefore, Holy Spirit should be able to direct us and teach both of us. So, practically, if we have a discretion of something that we are not, like, we don't know what to do, we commit together in prayer and also by ourselves in prayer. And by doing that, Holy Spirit has the responsibility in His Godhead to convict both of us in the same thing. She has Holy Spirit. I have Holy Spirit. He's got to bring us together. But you need to submit it, right? Submit your wants. And there have been times. Where I was like, you know what, praying through this, I think your perception is right. And I'm going to submit in love and do that because the Holy Spirit has, has said, that's really what you should do. And there have been times when she says, Dave, you know, I went to the Lord and I feel like the Lord is, is, is you're hearing from the Lord correctly, we're going to follow that. And there are times when we haven't really gotten all of it and, 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 and but actually, really, Holy Spirit usually always talks. Like in two weeks, I'm going to Israel to lead a tour. The trip is ten days. We just had a newborn. Like I, I really feel compelled by the Lord to go to Israel and to lead a tour and to instruct and minister and to teach people about the land of Israel. It's a calling that's all my life. She's like, Dave. We just had a kid. Like, what's going on? And we're like, okay, you're right. And. We prayed and prayed, and we we came to a... a, The Holy Spirit, I believe, led us to a a logical thing. Well, instead of 10 days, do five days. Amen. Okay. Now, I wanted 10. Oh, I wanted 10. But after prayer, it's like, come on, Dave. Love your wife. Amen. Stay home. Love your family. Like, this isn't the time. But here's the thing. Like, if you are born again, spirit-filled, there should not be too many things that are really driving you apart, because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. So commit it to prayer. And you may have to pull back the flesh and be like, well, I'm the guy. Eh. It's not what the Lord is talking about, right? So this this is the sensitivity that we have to do. And and look, if this kind of leadership... Well, and and here's the thing. When in doubt, men err on the side of love. It's the most simple thing to do. You're still concerned and you're not quite sure... Err on the side of love. And women, if you're unsure, and things err on the side of allowing your husband to lead. Err on the side, I don't want to say of caution, but on the side of what the role that the Lord has told you to do. To love and allow the other to lead in those kind of positions. But I really think most of the time, it's not going to really be an issue if you're committing it in prayer. If you got serious with the Lord, well, we're not getting any answers. We're not in unison. Okay, maybe it's now time to fast. Pull back the flesh. Grab? Right? All right. Now, the family dynamic with all this is, is, is part of the problem here. If, if you don't do this, right, if we, if we don't lead in love and submit in love, if we're not doing this, there, there's tons of confusion. Once again, this is not Greenockle, Pastor Dave, saying this. This is, like, this is stuff that's coming out of even the Feminine Mystique, if you read it, which I had to do for school. Like, she actually brings some of these principles in here. Uh, if we don't see this appropriate leadership the boy, the son, will not know how to lead. Or if he's even allowed to lead. Like, he's going to be confused. Like, do I lead? No one showed me how to lead. Is that my place? Um, if, if this paradigm of fathers is not happening, uh, for, for, the, for the girl, there's a problem that happens. Once again, this is not me making this up. This is like people with like higher salaries than me coming up with these conclusions. Uh, the girl has a, a, a different kind of perspective she doesn't see the father leading and leading in love and a mother that is submitting in love when need be. Uh, the girl has a tendency to grow up and she usually chooses either uh, a husband that will dominate her like she doesn't know the appropriate grid. So she finds someone who provides an inappropriate grid that dominates her or more times than not, she'll choose a man that completely dominates her. This is heavy stuff. If fathers and mothers do not show what family life is to be in the biblical message, we see that the next generation, in their confusion, chooses bad things. Men won't know how to lead, so they'll either lead not at all, or lead poorly and dominate, or the girl grows up and she doesn't know what the grid is, and she either will dominate a weaker man, or she will allow herself to be dominated because she's so confused on how this operates. Okay? This is very important because you are a priest of the home. So we relate this to Malachi 4. It says, right, that we're going to bring the hearts of the fathers to the children, the children to the fathers. And we outline why it's so important. One is that the leadership of priesthood in the family. Second is that our culture has completely, utterly confused young people on what it means to be a family, what it means to be a father, what it means to be a mother. And the third piece of all this is really the, the piece of perception, and it's this. The reason why it's so important to get this in his understanding is because our family structure and our father-to-children structure and our father-to-wife structure is a representation of spiritual things. And so we, we, we learn what it's like to be in relationship with our fathers and with our heavenly fathers. And this is where it comes down to, right? Many perceive the heavenly father through the lens of relationship that we have with our own fathers. And that can be problems. Once again, no raising of hands, but do you have a view of your dad of being domineering and full of wrath? If you if you have that, if you haven't gotten right in identity with the Lord yet, you are gonna now most likely view your heavenly father as one who's ready to just Amen. squish you underfoot. Right. Why? Because there's priesthood in the home, and we learn that way. So come on, man. If if you have walked through that lifestyle with your father, there's some reminders that you need. God is love. Isaiah 53, a bruised reed, he shall not break. The prodigal son, no matter what you do, no matter what you do, if you turn and come back to the Father, he's there arms wide open, waiting to just love on you. Come on, right? He's willing to leave the 99 sheep to go after the one. It doesn't matter what drug you've been on, or what drug you're on. It doesn't matter how many times you've committed adultery. It doesn't matter how many things you've done that's not in line with the Lord. He is there, arms wide wide stinking open saying there is no wrath here i just want to love on you come to me but if you had a dad mm, that was just getting you for anything and for nothing you can really go to your father in this kind of scared afraid view we got to break that off second the absentee father you didn't have a dad he left he was never around You didn't know his name. That's going to have very, very deep, deep, deep effects on your soul. If you do not get right with the Lord. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says, Did not the Lord say, I will never leave you nor forsake you? Where are you, Lord, in the midst of my trial? My dad left when I was young. I don't even have a grid for what it means to be a son of a good dad. You've got to plug into the truth of the, of the, of the word. You've got to, like, recorrect that bad thinking. You've got to relearn things. I will never leave nor forsake you. That means never, no matter what you're going through. But some of us had a dad that wasn't really around, wasn't really showing interest. Uh, the third one, which is uh, big for me, is having a dad that's a provider but maybe not providing intimacy, relationship. That's the dad, you know he loves the heck out of you. You know it, you know it. He's, he's working hard, he's working double shifts, he's working, working, working to provide for you, to be able to do this, that, and the other thing, but he has not really spent much time with you. Now, let's, you know, all right, dad, mom working or working, working to be able to provide a good life for you, and you understand that, and you process that, and you're like, I know, he's, he's providing for me and giving me a good life. I get all that. you got to have the time of relationship. And so, you know, my dad's not here, so I would say to him in his face, but in, in love, but, you know, that was kind of my thing. I know, I know my dad loved me, and he loves me. He worked so hard, made so many sacrifices, did so much, I'm so thankful. But it's like, Dad, I, I just want to have a catch with you. I know you love me, but we didn't get to have as much time because you, had, you felt like you had to work. And I get that. But I just want to have a catch with you. I just want to spend time with you. And so this, has, this, has like the, uh, this is the God. This is the God of like, um, he is provider. He's going to take care of me. The enemies, oh, yeah, let God arise. His enemies have been defeated. You know, it's all like, he's going to provide. He's going to heal me. He's going to do all this kind of stuff. But you still inside of you may not believe that he really wants to have intimacy and relationship with you. Down deep. Ah, he's so busy with other things. Like, he's so busy, like, dealing with principalities and stuff. Like, he doesn't want, like, to spend time with you. Yeah, he does. Actually, he came to earth and humbled himself and put himself on the cross so that he could have intimacy with you. But if your dad wasn't that way, man, um, there's a lot of dudes that are that way. All right, so this is either gonna be epic or it's gonna be an epic not epic and it's this uh the movie feel the dreams me for me personally um it is like the i think it's like one of the most emotional little scenes to a movie a little background for those who haven't seen it in a while or don't know what it is the guy on the left uh ray kinsella he's uh played by kevin costner he has, like, this weird, like, dreams or voices when he's a farmer out in Iowa. And he says, like, if you build it, they will come. And so what he has to do is he has to build this baseball field, right? So he's building this baseball field. And it's, like, really weird. Like, you just did it off this, like, voice. And then, like, these people, these old baseball players, name it was the 1919 uh, Black Sox, um, White Sox, known as Black Sox because of a scandal that they did with cheating in baseball and gambling. They come out of the cornfield, and the famous Shoeless Joe Jackson is playing. And, you know, like, like 80 years later, you get to see these great baseball players play. And so part of the story here is that that baseball team was banned from baseball. They weren't allowed after they gambled. And so the story here is, is the baseball field in the middle of Iowa is a place of redemption. They get to play again. They get to play ball again. Right? And so the field, uh, is, uh, the field of dreams is the field of redemption. And so he builds this and he has no idea why the heck he's building this dang thing. These guys come, but it still doesn't make sense. And then at the end of the movie, his dad shows up to play baseball. And his dad's been dead for years. And you find out earlier that he and his dad, when they were young, they loved baseball. But as many teenagers, the son broke away and didn't really want to be with his dad. And the last thing that he told his dad before his dad passed away is, I hate baseball, which he actually loved baseball, but he... Associated it with the with the father. And the last thing he says to his dad is, I hate baseball. He storms off, and like a couple weeks later, whatever, the father dies. And so now, in this place of redemption in a cornfield in the middle of Iowa, he gets to see his dad again, coming out of the cornfield. And now, yeah, if we can unmute the computer, because it goes right into it, and switch over, that'd be great. I like tear up every time I watch this. You can switch over. Now, everyone's got their own thing, you know, but man, when I watch this, I'm just like, baseball's like ridiculously huge in my family. My grandfather signed a contract with the 1938 New York Yankees. You're not allowed to be like anything else but a baseball fan and a Yankee fan. It doesn't matter if you move to Philadelphia or wherever, you've got to be a Yankee fan. Sorry. But when my grandfather is playing with Lou Gehrig and Joe DiMaggio, you kind of have to be, right? You kind of have to be. And he got shot in World War II. Defeating the helping defeat the Nazis underneath General Patton, uh, and he's sitting on the side of some field in, 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 in Normandy, realizing his dream is over. Shrapnel on the side of his arm. doctor says, if you pitch again, that shrapnel will work its way into its heart, and you'll die 60 feet, 6 inches from home plate. You're done. I remember being a little boy, having a catch with my grandfather, you know? Uh, I remember having a catch with my dad. I mean, probably the sweetest memories of my life is that, you know, that, that July n- night when the humidity breaks and the sun is setting right there and it's quiet and the only thing you can hear is that of, of the glove and the smell of the leather. It's just you and your dad just boom. Something rhythmic to it, right? You know, it's just that catch. Back and forth, there's this connection. Man, it's ah. I'm bringing my gloves to the barbecue today. And my kids and the, grand, the grandkids, are, they're staying inside. I'm having a catch with my dad. I'm having a catch with my dad. I encourage you to have a catch with your dad. Maybe baseball wasn't your thing. But here's the thing. It's not about just your dad. This place, Iowa, is a representation of heaven. Kevin Costner is a representation of us. His dad is a representation in some way of the, of the father, the heavenly father. The the son steps away from his his earthly father, which in our terminology is a representation of God the Father. He says, I don't like baseball. I don't like being with you. And he leaves, and he never gets to see him again. But now in this place of redemption in a cornfield, there's an opportunity for us as sons and daughters to go to our father and say, Heavenly Father, I just want to have a catch with you. And what's the father's response? I'd like that. Your Heavenly Father, no matter what your experience has been with your earthly father, your Heavenly Father wants to have a catch. He wants intimacy and relationship with you. It doesn't matter what you've done. He wants it. Dana, if you can come on down, please. So what do we do and how do we do it? I would say today, go have a catch with your kid. Do something with them. Be involved in their life. Do something and show them what it means to be a priest of the home. Colossians chapter 3, verse 20 got me in trouble when I was in junior high school. Got me in trouble. <laughs> Colossians 3, 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well pleasing to the Lord. So my parents would be like, obey your parents. I remember being in junior high when I started reading the word. I'm like, yes, mom and dad, but does it not say as we go on in verse 21, fathers do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now, it sounds cute now, but can you imagine if a 13-year-old is saying that to you? Boom! Obey, listen, submit in love to to your parents. But parents, make sure that you do not discourage your children. Oh, it's a power, it's it's both sides of the coin, right? Love your wife, but the wife submits. There is a back and forth, right? Listen to your fathers, but fathers do not discourage and be overbearing to your kids. Look, I grew up in the church and it was like, Jesus this, Jesus that, Jesus this, Jesus that, every freaking day of my life. Sometimes you just got to stop that. Yes, stop overbearing your kids and go have a catch. Go love them. Show them that you care. Whether you love Jesus yet or not, it's okay. You are my son and daughter. And I want to love you no matter what. And I want time with you. And that through love, they will see the love of the Father. We can't overbear our kids. We can't just crack the whip all the time. We can't micromanage them. We can't be like, you have to do this. And drag them all the time to church. Sometimes you just got to be like, yo, all right, it's cool. You can stay home. From church? Because if you overbear them and discourage them, they'll have nothing to do with it. What else do we do? Kids, have a catch with your dad. Learn to be a son again. So kids, reach out to your parents. But for all of us here, we need to learn what it means to be a son again. You cannot be a father if you do not know what it means to be a son. And so we really need to have this intimacy, again, with our Abba Father. He really would like that. He would like it so much that at the foundations of the earth, the Lamb of God was slain so that he could purchase that relationship. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter, opened not his mouth to take on the chastisement and the sin of your life and my life. That's how much he wants to have a catch with you. He is seated in heavenly places making petition for the saints. That's how much he loves you. He spent three days in the belly of the earth, absent from his father, to purchase the redemptive rights of sin and death for you. That's how much he wants to be in intimacy with you. And We need to bring that. We need to bear that. We need to bring that onto our lives. Amen. And then, of course, fathers, we need to lead, but we lead in love, not as a field marshal. We love in, we 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 lead in love. We lead by example. Mothers, wives, yeah, you 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 help. And, and you submit when there are times of submission because it's good and pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. But let's be real. With the Holy Spirit, there shouldn't be too much of that. There really shouldn't be. And why? Because, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. We as the family of God need to show the world what it means to be in a family, a loving family, a godly family. We need to do it to get rid of the confusion. We need to do it to lead our families and lead the world in the things of the Lord. And they will see that our families are so full of love, even in the midst of chaos and mess, that they're going to be drawn to it. They're going to be asking questions, how do you guys do it? And that doesn't mean that your kid is perfect, no. It means that when they're imperfect, you're loving them and you're still guiding them. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand? Father, we thank you for Father's Day. We thank you that we can honor our fathers, those people who gave us that second X chromosome or that one Y chromosome. Two X makes a female, an X and a Y makes a male. Lord, we thank you that they are more than a sperm donator. But they're a representation of the Godhead, a representation of our relationship with you. Lord, I pray for those fathers who are like, you know what, maybe I didn't lead the right way, maybe I didn't love the right way. Lord, we pray against condemnation. And We pray against those masks that we put on. And we pray for an understanding of what it is to be a son before you. And as we're sons before you, we now can lead in love by being a father. To our children and to those who may not have a good father. Lord, I pray that there would be a spirit inside of us right now of dads and mothers wanting to be in intimacy with their children and to love them on them today. That yes, they'll just want to reach out and play with them and be involved with them and And not be overbearing to them, even in the things of the faith. But Lord, I pray that all of this comes out of a revelation that in some kind of silly way with baseball and my family, Lord, that you, the eternal Heavenly Father, that you want and you desire so fervently to have a catch. Stop all of time to stop all of eternity, to pick up that ball, and that glove, and have relationship, In Jesus' name. Have a wonderful week, have a wonderful Father's Day, Dana is going to continue to just lead a little worship, feel free to process and to receive from the Lord. If you are bearing a burden today with fatherhood, maybe your father, maybe you being a father, I don't know, but it can be quite an emotional day. So we're going to have a couple people up front to pray for you. Josh, if you're out there, why don't you come on down? Annabelle, if you're you're still here, why don't you just come down and, and pray for some? Have a wonderful week. We hope to see you Tuesday or Wednesday.